the American Shoreline Podcast Network's coverage of the 2019 ASBPA National Conference in Myrtle Beach is brought to you by CDM Smith, collaborating with national agencies and local partners for sustainable coastal environments and resilient coastal communities. Thank you to CDM Smith for your support. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My name is Peter Ravella. I'm the co-host of this show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. We're kicking off the coverage of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It is plenary session day. The ASBPA board met this morning for four hours. Now we're into the meat of the program. And we have with us a great guest to kick off our coverage of the conference, Franny uh, Bowie from Boston, Massachusetts, works with CDM Smith. She is a senior coastal manager at CDM Smith. Welcome to the show. That's right. Well, Franny and Peter, you're bearing the lead because Franny <laughs> is getting a big award at today's uh I guess, is this the, an award ceremony that's happening later? Is it's, that what happened? It's Franny? an award ceremony. It's a quick 15-minute award ceremony, <laughs> but that's part of, uh, of the plenary session for today. I've got, I just want to say, uh, you know, I, I assume, I hope that uh, some of your uh, colleagues are listening to this show. And uh, you are working hard, just punching away on a call in the hallway. I came out, like pulled you away to do this. And you're getting an award later. Then you fly off back to, I assume, back up to Boston. Is yeah, that back Look up at to you Boston. Go. Look at yep, you go. Yep, yep. So it goes, so it goes. So well, go ahead, Peter. Well, let's talk about the award. First sure. of all, uh, Tyler, CDM Smith is the sponsor of our coverage of the ASBPA conference. And uh, so we want to thank uh, Franny, you and the company. That's right. For making this possible today. But uh, the award, tell us about the award you're receiving today. So the award that I'm getting is the the Rising Star Award. Um, I've been uh, attending and participating in ASBPA, I think, for about seven or eight years at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, and recently have become much more involved in the Northeast uh, chapter as the vice president of the New England contingent. So I think with that and kind of just the youthful exuberance um, as part of, of who I am, I think they, they uh, I really appreciate the community reaching out and, and, a, and showing their acknowledgement of, of my efforts with ASBPA. Well, I think it's well-deserved. And... Uh, We've we've been very fortunate here on ASPN, Peter, and Coastal News Today to have a an extremely close media partnership, working relationship with ASBPA, and we have actually gone to the Texas chapter and potted at the Texas chapter uh, meetings, and uh, we have not yet been to, and you actually went to the Florida chapter meeting. We did and potted there. We covered the Florida. Uh, so what my, my point is, for our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, the the makeup of ASBPA, you can go back and listen to our old shows because we've talked about this before with Derek, the ED. But there are these uh, chapters all around the American shoreline that kind of focus in on the work of that area. And I am really interested in the Northeast chapter because, man, there's some real, first of all, you've got some big cities. You've got Boston, you've got Providence, Rhode Island. You've got, is New York part of that? New York and New Jersey are a part of the Northeast chapter. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, these, and and, uh, by way of context, we know that so much uh, money came out of Sandy and, and 
the really it was a scare it was a wake-up call for that entire region about how, just how uh, maybe unprepared we were I guess to mm -hmm. to uh, respond so to give us a little uh, update as to what the chapters really focused on these days so at this point we're, we're still getting our feet underneath us um, you know there was a lot of energy and movement especially in the New York New Jersey area after Hurricane Sandy and there was this recognition that yeah um, Boston was a little lucky in that sense that we kind of got passed unscathed but even um, in recent storms you know there was this recognition that there is this threat that exists out there and so what we're doing in New England at least is um, we are evaluating where the um, where NSBPA ASBPA can exist um, in partnership in coordination with a lot of the other different uh, coastal resiliency groups that are that are out there at the moment. So um, right now we're just you know doing our partnerships and stakeholder outreach to see whether or not we can partner with different programming that's out there, um, support different causes in terms of education, working with universities that are also in the area, just trying to get a good idea of what is out there in terms of the landscape in order to really push um, what, what the Northeast chapter is all about. Well, I, I'm interested in, in some of the major projects that are being discussed in, up in the Northeast. Uh, I think there's a multi-billion dollar plan for uh, Gates at, at, at in Lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. There is multi-billion dollar proposals being talked about for Boston. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what, give us a feel for the, uh, what the public's perception of these efforts are. They're, they're, they, we seem to be seeing quite a bit of discussion in New York City mm -hmm. about it. What are you hearing? What do you think the public read is? How is the, how are the plans coming together right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think um, with the work that's being done in New York, New Jersey, at least in New England, which is kind of the area that I'm representing, they see that as examples. They see that as guidance. They see it as, oh, what are our neighbors doing, even though there is still that Red Sox-Yankees kind of rivalry. <laughs> um, at least in the state of, or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, there's been a concerted effort for communities to learn a little bit more about their vulnerability. So in the Commonwealth, there's this program called the Massachusetts Vulnerability Preparedness Program, MVP, where grant monies are provided so that communities can go through the whole process of doing the plan, of understanding their hazards. And um, the work that CDM Smith is doing is both from you know, all the way from the federal level to down to the local level. We have a lot of local communities and municipalities that we support that are going through this MVP process. And the idea is that after they go through the planning, more grant monies would be available to actually implement some of hmm. those projects. So m I myself have worked on projects, you know, on Cape Cod where the communities have recognized, oh yeah, there's gonna be flooding and a lot of our infrastructure is gonna be under 10 feet of water. What does that look like? What's vulnerable? What can we do to to help our communities be more resilient? You know, what are those steps to get there? Mm -hmm. So, Franny, did you get a chance to go speak with city councils and community groups on the vulnerability yeah. uh, assessments of these things? I'm wow. very curious. Yeah, so let's talk about what that sounds like. Uh, I, leaving I, us hanging here. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> because I, I think part of it is is I, I'm kind of curious about two things. One, is there a growing recognition that this vulnerability is legitimate and real? Kind of curious about that. And I'm wondering if you've come across what's going on in Wellfleet out on Cape Cod, and I think that's the right name. Yeah. So um, uh, 
there is this recognition that this vulnerability exists and i think in january and march of 2018 there were two pretty significant nor'easters that hit the massachusetts area and even the nor'easters that happened this past season um, i think there was this recognition that yeah there, that there are areas that are vulnerable to flooding there are areas that are vulnerable to erosion and the communities themselves have to uh, recognize that and start planning for um, that type of work um, that's going to be coming kind of down the line. Uh, in terms of Wellfleet, I haven't, I've only visited Wellfleet. They have some really great um, seafood restaurants that I've been to. <laughs> that's um, nice. We'll, I, we'll avoid it. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I, I, I haven't done work in Wellfleet in the sense that, uh, you know, working with those communities yeah. themselves. I've worked with other communities in standing, presenting to the Board of Aldermen um, with uh, community people and and the public there there's 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 a sea change I think there's certainly some people who are all about wanting to recognize it they want the education they want to put high water mark markers all over their town um, so that the future generations have an understanding of what what has been impacted I, c I agree with you on that sea change notion I do think that the past couple years have at least, you know, in reading the news, you know, what, that's one of the interesting things that we get to do is kind of get this, you know, global perspective, general perspective of sentiment and how it's moving. And I do think that just because I think as as Peter says, uh, what is it? Reality is a persistent teacher, something like that. Did <laughs> I get it? That is my. <laughs> well, it does seem that there's a, there's an awakening. Yeah, there's an there is an and, awakening here. But I am interested in uh, within those communities when you go and you present mm -hmm. and the public is there. Um, how do they view you? Are you viewed as the hero that's coming to save the day? Are they skeptical of what you have to say? Is it a, is a mix of both? Um, how are you treated by uh, the, the the lay public? Yeah, um, I, I, I'm not one to think that I'm a hero by any sense of that word. Um, to some degree, there's that uh, there's optimism uh, that the communities are at least acknowledging it now today. Um, and then there's also, you know, to be frank, the pessimistic side of how are we going to fund it? Um, how is this going to be implemented? these neighborhoods are going to be changed forever if this were to become a reality. Um, so I don't necessarily think that I'm, um, you know, I could say that I'm uh, a superhero with the Reaper <laughs> at the same time. Like there's this potential that, that the, this will become a reality for them. Um, and mm -hmm. I think just having that frank conversation with them helps um, them understand kind of what that future may hold. Yeah, what can I? Uh, this is a kind of just maybe a dumb question, but I've got to I've got to ask sure. it. Uh, what does uh, adaptation for the coming, you know, sea level rise, climate change? What is what is that going to look like in terms of? I'm not talking about Boston and New York, these like mm -hmm. m you know gates and big projects, but for for some of these small old fishing town mm -hmm. villages that line the eastern, the northeast shoreline. Um, what is it going to look like for them? Is it going to be retreat? Is it going to be elevation? Is it going to be armament, beaches? Is it all of the above? What are you, what are you advising these folks to do? So it's it's a combination of all those adaptation strategies. Um, you know, there's there's certainly areas where they have to make a difficult decision, 
And what we are trying to do is help inform them of what that decision could be and what those implications would be. Definitely elevation is part of it. Definitely retreat is part of it. Um, there are other infrastructure strategies that, that are possible, um, but those are heavily financially commitments that those communities have to make and we can't make those decisions for them. Um, it's really up to the public officials um, and the communities themselves to make that decision. You know, I'm glad you've mentioned funding as a critical component of how these strategies will be developed and play out. Um, as I think Tyler and I recognize, and in talking to coastal engineers mm -hmm. uh, on ASPN, uh, in an area like Boston or in, an area, or in the city of New York, in Manhattan, the cost of protection of Manhattan is, is going to be significant and it is going to be paid. And there isn't going to be any doubt about that because of the value of the upland real yeah, estate. Yeah, totally. Uh, the, the San Francisco International Airport has got a, they're talking about a billion dollar flood barrier for the airport. A cool bill. This is uh, also what's happening in Boston with mm -hmm. the, you know, the, all this low-lying land in the city. These investments are kind of more straightforward. In the off communities, I would say, or the areas of less density and less, and, and less value, this is where the real tough uh, I think choices are going to have to be made because the financial capacity of the community is not as great, number right. one. So let's talk about what the supplemental disaster funding looks like or what, where do you see the revenue coming from when you're, when you're working on a program of options for a client mm -hmm. um, and you're looking at a slate of potential funding sources, are you sort of optimistic? What are you seeing? Does it look manageable? in these areas that are not, you know, the main metropolitan areas of the region. So what I've, I've seen, or at least we've discussed with some of the communities especially, is that there are, there are funding opportunities and the work that CDM Smith is doing from both the federal down to the local level, um, you know, is, provides different opportunities for funding to occur. So we've advised communities to say, look, you should look at the FEMA hazard mitigation grant programs. That's an option in order to um, get funding to implement these different programs. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts, as I said, um, as, as again, as part of that MBB planning process, has coastal resiliency grants that communities can apply for and implement some of these strategies. Um, but yes, it is a challenge. Funding will always be a challenge unless you know, Congress changes and and the funding stream is different. Um, but we, you know, the other element that I'm, I'm just thinking about at the top of my head is this kind of the phasing component of it. Mm -hmm. So helping communities understand, well, if you can't do it all in one shot, let's talk about the different phases that you can go through in order to help, you know, get this project, you know, in the ground. Have you, have you been able to go through the process of uh, conceptually defining the problem working on a, on a slate of options for a community, the pick, the, the selection of the best option and putting something on the ground. Have, is there an example that you can point to that, that you think is a, a great balance of the economic uh, costs versus the benefits of resiliency planning? Is there, walk us through a good one. What does it look like when it works right? Yeah, so that's a that's all great questions, Peter. And um, I would say don't mean to put you on the spot, no, but no, no. but it helps our readers understand it. Can't I mean our listeners? Can it be done? That's yeah, kind of what I'm. Yeah, and and there are certainly communities, at least 
in my realm and space that I know of that have been able to go from the planning, the recognition, the alternatives analysis, picking one, funding it, and putting it into the ground. Um, you know, I think each community is different. I think each community has its own political will um, and works in concert with you know the Conservation Commission as well as the um, people who have private homes right by that area. So it's, it's a complicated issue, um, but there are many communities in Massachusetts, I believe, that have gone through that process and um, it's a multi-year process. It is a, an expensive process. But again, I think that the federal government has provided opportunities for funding. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts supports those opportunities and have supplemented with additional funding. And then again, it's political will within the communities themselves um, to actually push forward and work with consultants um, such as CDM Smith to, to design and implement those projects. Well, CDM Smith is certainly just one of the best in the game, I've got to say. <laughs> of course, very, we're very capable firm. Very capable, um, you know, obviously super, you know, you're, you're a great example, but super good at what you guys do and have lots of experience. And when you're going into these small towns or even, even larger towns mm -hmm. and working with, um, working with leaders who, let's, let's be real, there's, there's a fear factor here. Uh, these communities are staring down uh, what is certainly going to change them. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing that, you know, I've, I've spent a little bit of time on the, the New England shoreline is, you know, a lot of those people have been, you know, their families go back a long time. New Englanders, I'll tell you, they're, they're, they've got deep roots up there, man. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> and uh, they're stubborn. Uh, it's, it's one of the kind of, traits <laughs> you don't uh, leave and yeah and so i think that um it helps to have a firm uh with the t the kind of um stroke that that you guys do uh when you go in and and give advice and and consult with these people on how to how to solve these problems and i would say they're hardy not stubborn that's a good way you know what? that's a better word yeah they are hardy they go through yeah. those winners yeah uh, well, let's talk about Boston a little bit. I understand you're located in, in the city of Boston yep. to, to professionally. And so we all get to cheer a little bit that the Yankees just lost <laughs> in the ALCS and did not make it because I know in Boston, you know, they have an opinion about these guys. But, yeah. uh, but I've read about and am generally aware of the, the challenges that the city of Boston uh, is facing in, in terms of sea level rise and, 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 and storm risk. Mm hmm um, is CDM Smith involved with the city of Boston or the, or the county? And uh, can you give us an overview of, of what you think is uh, maybe on the table for that, for that great American city? Yeah, so CDM Smith has supported um, the city of Boston in a number of different, um, in a number of different projects. Um, we've worked pretty closely with Boston Water and Sewer Commission. We've worked closely with the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority. So... Um, the big wastewater treatment plant um, area, uh, I'm sorry, plant out in basically in Boston Harbor and helping them with a bunch of their projects. You know, Boston City um, Parks Department also, we have projects that are, that are ongoing there. And, you know, I think more recently, I would say in the past 10 years or so, there's been this recognition that, you know, the climate is changing and there are things that 
that we as engineers and design consultants need to consider um, as as projects are moving forward, um, both from the rehabilitation side as well as new projects. Um, and we also support a number of the communities in the Boston area. Um, a lot of them are kind of interconnected or feed within different systems. And so making sure that you know those communities are also under the same type of guidance and making sure that we're following what um, both the Commonwealth as well as the city or the regional planning um, uh, organizations are considering for, for their design. That's something that we're all kind of in tune with. Great. I understand. And I, I know you received the Rising Star Award, isn't mm -hmm. it? And I'm sort of thinking it really ought to be the Shooting Star. <laughs> I was thinking that same thing. This is the Shooting Star. Or the she's Starfish. Been, she's been something a little bit more coastal. Ten years. The rising Sea Level? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the Rising Seas Award. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so you've been at it for a while. And, and yeah. what, what I'm interested in is in this uh, more than a decade, I understand, as and now as a senior uh, coastal manager at CDM Smith, how have you seen climate change and sea level rise incorporated into the assessment, the vulnerability assessment, but particularly in project design? Is that happening? Is it different than it was five years ago? Can That's you give our, question, give our Peter. listeners, a, has it changed? Yeah, so um, I, it definitely has changed. Um, it is certainly a use of what the federal government is kind of putting out there in terms of information that communities can use for that planning. Um, and I think the other element is that communities also have to, they are the ones who, in the end, will be implementing some of those design requirements. So our, our understanding is that whatever you know FEMA has for a base flood elevation, that's really the minimum standard. Right. So we've definitely had conversations with communities to increase you know what their freeboard is for example um and you know looking out at what that future condition is going to be m the intermediate scenario for sea level rise maybe isn't good enough anymore so there mm. are a number of communities who have considered okay let's let's think a little bit stricter let's think about what that intermediate high or high scenario would be um, let's look out into the future what we want our our infrastructure to look like. Um, let's make sure that we incorporate that and consider it. That's very interesting. Uh, and uh, go ahead. Well, I just I mean, it's it's interesting to see how uh, as sea level rise and particularly climate change seeps into the minds of the public and then <coughs> into the the leaders of communities that uh, the planning is expected mm -hmm. to incorporate. And designed to those factors, and and the fact of the matter is, is that there is a lot of question there. Yeah, it, I think there's a lot of amb ambiguity, and so what you're saying is that they're leaning on kind of these federal sure yeah. uh, uh, design standards, I guess you'd say. Yeah, and and federal data sources. Really. Data sources, yeah. Um, and I think both the federal government has been able to provide that information, and then the Commonwealth of Massachusetts has also provided. Um, you know, information that communities can use kind of more on a local scale, too. Um, and I know that, you know, I'm, I'm speaking a lot on the Massachusetts side, but, you know, I think there are states up and down the eastern seaboard have had this type of information that's out there, mm -hmm. and it's up to the designers and the local communities to understand that it's out there and to leverage it. Yeah, and, you know, in listening to uh, uh, Jane Smith, who was mm -hmm. a keynote uh, today, from the uh, Army Corps of Engineers Coastal and Hydraulics Lab and talking about innovation in uh, coastal engineering, 
practice, uh, she spoke about this particular topic and the federal projections of sea level rise. I, I, it wasn't too long ago when we were working on projects that that the idea of incorporating explicit standards that would drive the design for sea level was not done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be sort of alluded to. It might be a paragraph in the report. You know, we think mm-hmm. there could be something. But, but in terms of actually driving the design criteria, it just hadn't quite matured. And now to see the conversation shifting where folks are beginning to consider whether the moderate level of projected sea level rise is the appropriate basis for the project uh, or the higher level is really uh, an indication of the change in the culture of coastal engineering and shoreline adaptation and resiliency. Mm-hmm. I think that's all good news. Do you feel that that it's good news in terms of what's happening? I feel like it's it's good news, but... I mean, it's know, good news about bad news, but, right. but it's good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it is reactive. I think uh, Hurricane Sandy certainly opened up a lot of people's eyes as to what could or could not happen um, in communities along the eastern seaboard. And I think, you know, again, New England, a lot of people had their storm of record was in 1978. Well, that was before I was born. So to some degree, there was this kind of, um, you know, this mind gap of, of not remembering what impacts could happen. And I think it was a really stark reality to see what happened in New York and understanding that they didn't want that to happen um, in communities up and down the, yeah, the East Coast. Yeah, no doubt about it, Franny. I mean, that storm uh, left a serious mark and also brought in a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And um, and by that and and an idea of that that money would, in addition, to, of course, to be rebuilding the beaches and the dunes and all of the impacted areas would also go toward uh, future resiliency and um that is like still underway. And I think that there's still, mom- I think you're right to say that there's like still momentum from that storm. I'm curious to know, so you're the rising star. That's like quite a, a prestigious position here at the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association 2019 conference. <laughs> the only one, I think, yes. That's yeah. the, uh, the, you are it. You, only, <laughs> you are it. Congratulations to CDM Smith <laughs> for, for bringing up this rising star. Um, so I want to ask you, uh, what are the uh, what what's like the hot trend that you're seeing in your practice? Like, what 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 what's the direction that it's moving from your in your opinion? Like, you know what I'm saying? I want to hear it from you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I as, want your well as a new uh, you know as a, as a what we'd say as a, a mid career professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the storm of record as you said the last one that was being used was before you were born. So we're talking about the the trends of the younger professional generation. I think you who came up professionally at a time when climate change was beginning to become an accepted idea. Uh, you go back 20, as we've said, not so much. So, yeah, this trends thing. What, 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 yeah. What's the conversation like among your peers and your professional level? Good question. Is, that, the, is that what you're no, – is that, I'm on the same track? I think, as, is I think I'm you, trying to be on the same track. I think, I think you uh, put lipstick on my very uh, – <laughs> no, it's a good question. It's not a it big is. question. It's yeah. a good question. It is a good question. Yeah. What are the trends you're seeing? But, yes, like what, when you're going out and you're hanging out with your peers – not not the old stodgy folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you know what? Not these what? other award winners who've been around a while, like Spencer Rogers, who we love. Yeah, Spencer's yeah, Spencer been doing awesome. this for 40 years, but, you know, yeah. you're yeah. a crowd. 
Um, so let's see. I would say that we are now living in a semi-data rich environment, right? Mm. So there's a lot of data that's out there. And a way, uh, you know, one thing that we've been talking a lot about a lot is like, how do we use computers since I've been living with computers since I was like born? Um, how do we use computers to help inform decisions? How do we use computer vision to help um, in looking at how a beach profile will change over time and, and through storms? How do we simulate um, thousands of, of storms and, and what type of statistical analysis can we derive out of that to inform either the communities or the federal government as to what their risk is? So there's, there's certainly a lot of discussion around how to leverage that type of computer power. Um, and, you know, some of it will still require back of the envelope, pen on paper, calculating wave heights. Um, but there's also a lot of push towards let's make this efficient. Let's make sure that the information is up to date. Let's use best available data in order to help communities, you know, become more resilient. Yeah. And, and understand what the hell's going on. Out yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. We were we were having a conversation the other uh the other night uh, with a guy who uh, in the 70s was approached by his city manager and he li- the city manager's like I just need to know where it's eroding and when it, where it's accreting will you just tell me I mean this was like a resident mm-hmm. who apparently had a good intuition for sediment he just kind of felt it he went out to the beach and he's like it seems to be getting bigger here <laughs> it must be accreting <laughs> That's the way they did Troy it. Giles, who is a, uh, a, a, you know, was one of the settlers, really, of mm. uh, South Padre Island, Texas, back in, uh, before the city became a city. But it does, it is, uh, and, and this happens a lot. You do hear when you talk to the folks who did this decades ago, sort of an anecdotal approach to how the shoreline is understood. I mean, that's obviously been changed uh, through organizations like ASBPA and all of the academics who work so very hard on this stuff. Uh, but here's my question, and I wonder if this comes up in the community that you are in of younger professionals. Um, there is this temptation. Uh, the whiz-bang of mm-hmm. computer modeling really is astonishing now uh, in the years that I've been coming to ASBPA. Yeah. Whiz-bang. It's, I mean, really, it's just, I love it. Yeah. It's incredible <laughs> what you can do. The wave simulations, the visualizations, the time lapse, yeah. all of this is just stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's something that Jane Smith spoke about in her talk about, about the tools of the trade and the advancement in the tools and the data availability. Um, is there a potential here that, that we get blown away by how, I don't know what the word is, how much of a whiz-bang thing it is and stop thinking uh, and we get over-reliant or we become, are you concerned about that in, in terms of the exercise of judgment? In ter- uh, you know, when we get into the political world where you've got mm-hmm. to exercise political judgment, community judgment, integrate financing, we're getting past data. I mean, what, how does that feel to you guys when you've got this incredible tool set at your disposal now? Yeah, I mean, I think that for sure there is some assumption that there's there's this kind of loss of knowledge or fundamental understanding of what beach processes do occur um, based on this video game, right, of storm surge and waves. But I think that it, it is important for, you know, students, young professionals to understand what goes into these calculations, what goes into the modeling to understand, um, you know, uh, the 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 functional elements of how waves are propagating inland in order to get an understanding of 
of how that really is represented in terms of, of those risks. So to some degree, yeah, there's certainly that element, um, but I do think that having that data, at least to make some sort of informed decision mm -hmm. or to put it out on the page and have a gut check, right? right. A reality check um, and talking to the people who have been working um, in this space for 40 years is essential and that's information and that's knowledge that we cannot lose so i look forward to talking to spencer later on today <laughs> and just checking in and see how yeah. he's doing spencer was on the very first uh <laughs> podcast we did that's that was right. in at that's the right. fort lauderdale asbpa meeting that he was, was our, he was uh, on pilot. the back the back deck the back deck <laughs> there at the mm -hmm. uh spencer was part of that conversation that was, that was our pilot initial pilot mm -hmm. first ever podcast that we ever did was uh before aspn existed before any of this happened uh we did that so spencer was on that that yeah, was really was cool. that, that was a that was a great as show. were several resiliency planners and landscape architects from new york city okay and, and scape i don't know if oh, you're yeah, familiar yeah. with them. Scape, this yeah. folks from scape but i'm a fan of of the data i'm mm -hmm. a fan of the modeling too uh I do think it, it adds a much higher level of confidence in understanding these complicated problems, but at some point, of course, it comes down to what can you afford to do, and that notion of political will that you mentioned, mm -hmm. that's, that's ultimately, all of this, I mean, I used to say this in the community workshops that I used to do, is it's all politics, and uh, it is all politics, which means every decision to move forward in a community on a project like this requires a decision by elected officials and you have to be aware of the political context that you are in. Mm -hmm. And I wish somebody would come up a model for that because I'm not sure you can model that. I think you have to, I think you gotta be just smart and adept and, and credible yeah, in, as a yeah. professional and work with the community. But I, I know that we're gonna, I think we gotta wrap this up, but I have to ask you one other topic because this is such a big deal up in your, uh, in the Northeast chapter. Are y'all talking about wind power much up there in your chapter meetings? Um, so sort of, yes, kind of, maybe. Um, the chapter the, ourselves, we have not been talking about wind power directly, but there are certainly organizations that are working, are working it and talking about it. Um, I think there were a couple of people who had been involved in NSBPA who have since moved to offshore wind projects. Okay. Um, so that's that's certainly something that is uh, that is on the docket. That's certainly something that I think if there's interest um, from the chapter that that will certainly support. Uh, well, I hope you know I hope ASBPA in general, but the, the particularly this chapter because I think it's uh, mm -hmm. the probably the strongest offshore wind market in the yeah. country right now is in the Northeast. Yep. Hundreds of millions of dollars being spent on the offshore leases for uh, uh, wind energy sites, not for the construction of mm -hmm. the towers, but just yeah. for the lease rights. Uh, but we're going to see this interplay of that industry and the shoreline communities in ports and waterways yeah. and port infrastructure and how all of this gets built and managed totally. is going to be right up the alley of firms like cdm smith so yeah. i think for the coastal engineering community understanding uh that industry and how it's going to affect those shorelines that you guys work in i think is uh and hey listen i'll give you one hint in the gulf of mexico gomisa is a major funder and what it is is the federal royalty payment that goes to every county on the Gulf of Mexico, mm. except the Florida counties. Uh, but it's a, it's hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. a year. 
And it and these offshore lease areas for wind, the Northeast needs to create its own GOMESA, not the Gulf of Mexico Energy yeah. Security Act, but the Northeast Atlantic Energy Security Act, and have payments that go from the federal offshore uh, lease uh, holdings mm-hmm. into the state coffers for coastal resiliency planning. And this is the law that I would be working on if I were in your <laughs> chapter. <laughs> so I'm going to throw that out as an no, idea. That is, it's, a, it's a good thought. It's a good, it's a good thing to keep um, on the radar. So thanks, Peter. I'll definitely, <laughs> Listen, I'll definitely it's all about the money. So you've got to find the money to do the stuff you guys know needs yeah, to be done. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, it should be paid. Yeah. It's a revenue. It's a good idea, Peter. Good idea. Well, it, it's it's what's driving the Texas resiliency mm-hmm. budget, that and the Restore Act and the BP oil right. spill. Those two uh, federal sources of revenue, well, I guess you could throw in the disaster supplemental, yeah. a few billion there, but let's just say there's a lot of money. But the oil, in, the oil industry and the offshore energy industry is a key part now mm-hmm. of the foundation financially of, of uh, adaptation on the Gulf shoreline, and it just ought to be... It ought to be what happens on wind. I, I would be, I would, Makes I would sense. be, I'd be introducing the bill. I'd be working with the legislator. Yeah. Well, and and I think you know, obviously, what Peter said is that all of that infrastructure is going to be coastal. Mm-hmm. The maintenance, the right. the landing of all the, yeah. you know, it's all going to require a bunch of boats that are going to be coming in and need bulkheads to right. dope boat up to and <laughs> all that business. Well, and I think the state of Connecticut Port is putting a million dollars in improvements to get ready to handle offshore wind towers and blades. I mean, the Mm -hmm. whole design of the port has to change and the size of the... Anyway, I don't know why. I just... (laughs) Peter loves wind. I do. The wind energy thing is like a pet project. I love the wind wind energy stuff. So anyway... (laughs) Whenever you see a wind wind story on Coastal News Today, like two out of three are Peter's. (laughs) That's good to know. Well, I think think you got to keep an eye out because it's going to be a big deal and... uh, but anyway, I, um, uh, <laughs> what are your closing thoughts? What What are you? Are you having to leave? You don't get to stay for the conference. You just came down to you get, don't get the to award. Stay for the you don't get the, you yeah, know, unfortunately, really? unfortunately, I can't stay. I'm on a plane tomorrow as well, so oh, wow. I'm, I'm leaving this evening. Um, but of course, it's always good to see familiar faces. Um, I was a proxy of the board meeting, so it's really, really interesting to hear about the different um, initiatives that are that are ongoing for ASBPA, which is awesome. Um, I'm excited to stay engaged and continue to support ASBPA, and I'd like to thank CDM Smith, obviously my employer, for helping me, um, you know, taking this part of my career as well as supporting me to to attend these conferences and be around some really awesome. Coastal engineers and scientists and policy people. Yeah, and podcasters. And huh? podcasters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're a regular part of the deal now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Franny Bowie, Senior Coastal Manager from Boston with CDM Smith. We want to thank CDM Smith, too, and thank you for taking the time. The recipient of the ASBPA Rising Star Award, which you'll receive today. And it's great always to have the award winners on the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you.